Welcome to episode 6 of HBR Talks the First 100, where we discuss the recent developments in the Biden administration and its relation to U.S. politics at large. Last week, we covered the Atlanta shooting and the rise in violence against Asian Americans, the Biden administration's handling of the surge of immigrants at the U.S. border, the Biden administration's stance on China and Russia, and we provided an update on the state of the coronavirus relief package passed months ago. Today, we're going to start by discussing the filibuster and how it plays a role in Biden's attempt to follow through with his agenda. Then we'll visit the Biden administration's southern border asylum system. After that, we'll briefly pivot to Biden's stance and efforts with regard to gun control. Finally, we'll provide an update on the vaccine rollout. After the signing of Biden's $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package through Congress, his in-the-works $2 trillion infrastructure plan, and Senate Democrats' efforts at a voting rights bill called the For the People Act, one potential obstacle to future progress has made Democrats and Biden quite fearful, that obstacle being the filibuster. President Biden on Thursday signaled that he would be willing to eliminate the filibuster from Senate rules. Either that, or he would appreciate a return back to the old, quote, talking filibuster, where senators spoke for long periods of time and then finally voted on the issue at hand. Many Democrats, from Hillary Clinton to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, share these sentiments with Biden. To understand why the filibuster exists and why many are demanding change, we must first take a quick look at its history. The filibuster has not always been part of the country's governing rules. Indeed, it wasn't a part of the Constitution like many Americans mistakenly believe. It was very lightly and rarely used after Aaron Burr's urgings in 1805 and then officially became a part of the Senate rules in 1856. Still, up until that point, the rule was rarely used and seldom exploited. It wasn't until the 50s and onwards until the filibuster became the ultimate source of unproductivity in the Senate. Once civil rights legislation began flooding the halls of Congress, Southern senators exploited the old filibuster rule to delay and sometimes prevent the passing of laws that would help create and uphold rights for Black Americans. For example, segregationist Strom Thurmond spoke for 24 hours to delay the passing of the 1957 Civil Rights Act. Over 60 years later, though, that exploitative use of the filibuster hasn't died down. Whereas cloture motions were filed under five times a year prior to the civil rights movement, during the Obama administration, filibusters were at an all-time high, sometimes totaling 250 motions to stop them in a year. Democrats and even some politicians who aren't blue are starting to acknowledge the threat that the filibuster poses to democracy. For example, independent Angus King, who has defended the filibuster in the past, wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post where he criticized the modern use of the filibuster as, quote, annoying obstructionism. The threat the filibuster poses to Biden's administration can be dimmed through the use of something called the nuclear option. Instead of changing the rules, the nuclear option allows for the Senate majority to interpret filibuster rules differently, potentially rendering the filibuster futile in the process. It is likely that the way in which the filibuster is used will certainly change, but the extent to which the rule changes is up in the air. Stay tuned to find out about that. The Biden administration is pushing an agenda at the southern border, which they claim will address systemic flaws within the current immigration system. Outcry within Washington, as well as amongst the American public, has grown increasingly loud following the uptick of asylum cases and lack of media transparency regarding how individuals at the border 
particularly minors, are being treated and what conditions they are being housed in. According to NPR, there are over 1 million asylum cases backlogged in the current immigration courts. So what exactly would the newly proposed plan change and what new milestones is it hoping to accomplish? The top priority of the administration definitely seems to be expediting the processing of asylum cases, and they're trying to accomplish this by redistributing the responsibility of who is allowed to judge these cases. As NPR explains, the administration would, quote, take some asylum cases from the southern border out of the hands of the overloaded immigration courts under the Department of Justice and delegate them to the Department of Homeland Security. Despite the administration's rhetoric suggesting a radical departure from the Trump administration's immigration policies and newfound hope for asylum seekers, many are not as optimistic as the president himself. Ishant Arur of the Washington Post argued that the reality of the situation is, quote, one more of continuity than change, citing the various parallels between the two administrations, including, quote, unsuitable facilities that house thousands of asylum-seeking minors, and the fact that, quote, thousands of migrants are being turned away at the border or expelled every day. It seems as though the Biden administration is telling the general public that they're working to completely reshape the immigration and asylum-seeking system, but they're also discouraging migrants from journeying to the states. The situation does seem to substantiate the Ruhr's argument of continuity over change. In 2019, the Trump administration was in a parallel situation, although their response greatly differed from Biden's team. Trump and his officials warned the Mexican government with tariffs unless the number of migrants to the United States decreased. Right. So even though we expect President Biden's administration's response to be incredibly different from his predecessor, it certainly seems as though there is an almost uncontrollable influx of migrants at the border. Numerous scholars and critics, including The New Yorker's Jonathan Blitzer, have argued that the current American system was not constructed to function in the status quo. Specifically, he wrote that, quote, the immigration system at the border, which was built up in the 1990s with single job-seeking adults from Mexico in mind, was not designated to handle a population seeking asylum on this scale. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas promises that the Biden administration's much-needed reorganization of the current system will, quote, shorten from years to months the time it takes to adjudicate an asylum claim while ensuring procedural safeguards and enhancing access to counsel. Will President Biden and his officials live up to their ambitious guarantee, or will this be remembered as an empty promise in hindsight? Check back next week for further developments on that. The month of March has been an especially tragic one, with multiple mass shootings leaving the country scarred and calling for increased gun reform. On March 16th, eight individuals, six of whom were Asian women, were killed in Atlanta, Georgia. President Biden spoke out against the anti-Asian violence, describing this year as one in which Asian Americans lived, quote, in fear of their lives. On March 22nd, 10 individuals were killed in Boulder, Colorado, at a grocery store, to which President Biden stated that, quote, another American city has been scarred by gun violence and the resulting trauma. One day later, CNN reported that the attack in Boulder was the seventh mass shooting in the past seven days in the United States. Shortly afterwards, a shooting which took the lives of four people, including a nine-year-old boy, took place in Orange County, California. Deaths as a result of firearms continue to ravage the country in 2020 despite the development of the pandemic and mandated quarantine measures. The Gun Violence Archive reported that nearly 20,000 Americans were killed in 2020 due to gun violence. 
A recent article published by the Washington Post says that researchers contend the pandemic most likely increased gun violence in more than one way. Rhys Tebolt and Danielle Rindler of the publication write that, quote, the spread of the coronavirus hampered anti-crime efforts and the attendant shutdowns compounded unemployment and stress at a time when schools and other community programs were closed or online. Additionally, they state that researchers, quote, also note that the apparent collapse of public confidence in law enforcement that followed the police killing of George Floyd. The month of March has also marked a record high for gun sales. As reported by Forbes, there were approximately 4.69 million federal background checks conducted in March of 2021, according to the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And it's anticipated that a considerable amount of Americans have used a portion of their $1,400 stimulus checks to buy guns. Lawmakers are requesting that President Biden use his executive powers to regulate the AR-556 pistol, the firearm used in the Boulder, Colorado shooting. This has gained the support of more than 100 lawmakers, with the original letter being penned by four Democrats from the House. Part of the letter reads that, quote, concealable assault-style firearms that fire rifle rounds pose an unreasonable threat to our communities and should be fully regulated under the National Firearms Act consistent with the intent and history of the law. The letter goes on to state that the tragedy in Boulder, Colorado is one of many deadly incidents involving this style of weapon. Despite significant support in the House for increased gun control, including the passage of two bills which increased the strength of background checks in March, legislators are still unsure whether the momentum will carry through in the Senate, where 60 senators will have to vote in favor of the bills in order for them to pass. Democrats currently hold a 50-seat majority, which would necessitate at least 10 Republicans voting in favor. Though this may have been unlikely even a couple of weeks ago, it is too early to tell whether or not these bills will succeed. While the United States vaccine rollout has been progressing with substantial efficiency, a large focus area of the Biden administration has been targeting vaccine hesitancy amongst members of the American public. According to the New York Times, a new poll data from the Kaiser Family Foundation reveals a marked increase in adults who have, quote, either received their first vaccine or are eager for one. In January, this percentage was only 47%, but as of April 1st, the statistics are 61%, marking a 14 percentage point increase. Despite the optimistic trajectory, there is still a great number of Americans who express intense skepticism over the vaccine. Recent data from the Kaiser survey shows that the issue is still one that is significantly drawn over party lines. Whereas 79% of Democrats have received or wish to receive one shot, only 46% of their Republican counterparts feel the same way. To add to the partisan tensions are geographical and racial disparities, which further complicate both the public perception and the logistics of receiving the vaccine. That's certainly correct. And we're clearly seeing a trend where a significant portion of Americans who live in rural areas simply don't feel as though there is enough incentive to receive the vaccine. In fact, the New York Times recently reported that Quote, for rural residents, access to the vaccine is so problematic that they see the logistics and travel time involved as simply not worth it. In an effort to combat the vaccine skepticism and anti-vaccine sentiment amongst the American public, the Biden administration has announced the launching of a new public awareness campaign, which will use advertisements to spread information about the vaccine and increase the number of Americans who are willing to receive the dosage. Advertisements in the campaign will be both in Spanish and English, and they will air throughout the entire month of April. 
Will the president's new public awareness campaign be successful? Stay tuned for more updates on this front. In other news, congressional Democrats have been rushing to string together a voting rights bill in the wake of Republican efforts to change voting rules after the 2020 election. The For the People Act is another one of Biden-backed Democratic legislation that will certainly be received incredibly partisanly in Congress. Even Democrats themselves are divided over the extent to which the bill can reform elections, with Joe Manchin of West Virginia saying that the election law should be left to the states. Discussion on the issue is currently underway, so... Stay tuned for next week's episode as we continue to cover all things related to the Biden administration and provide analysis on key developments of the week. Will the Biden administration finally do away with the filibuster? Can gun control efforts reasonably be passed in such a divided Congress? Will the Biden administration continue to successfully oversee the vaccination of millions of Americans? We hope you'll check out our episode next week to find out. And with that, I'm Emmy. And I'm Fawaz. And this has been HPR Talks, The First 100. Until next time.